doesn't matter what you put in front of me anymore. There's, there's nothing you can do to stop me. You can try to roadblock me all you want. I, and and this, is a, this is an important thing, by the way, because we said this the last time that we met. You, you're going to dig 99 holes before you find the one with gold. But if you stop digging, then you won't, you won't ever find it. And then eventually what you'll realize, and I love this, I love where you went with this, by the way, on LinkedIn. Eventually you learn to just appreciate the process of digging holes. How is it going, ladies and gentlemen? This is Sean Barnes. I want to welcome you back to The Way of the Wolf. We have a guest in the studio today, a gentleman by the name of Gray Bonin. I've only known him for a few months. We met in the gym, went and had coffee, struck up a great conversation, talked about entrepreneurship, and I had to get him on the show in front of all of you to share his story and share some of the lessons that he has learned along the way. Gray. Welcome to The Way of the Wolf. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, man. So you've got a pretty impressive story, especially for being 27 years old. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about your entrepreneurship journey? Yeah, I'm going to start with the 30,000 foot view and then we'll get into some of the details. So the, the short of it all is that um, over a five year period, I built a $5 million business in commercial printing. That was not how the business started. It took an incredible amount of failure for me to pivot the business in, from being something uh, that, it w that it was into commercial printing because it was a totally different business before that. What did it start out as? Started out as a retail shipping store. Okay. So it was like a mom and pop retail printing shop and then the government decided, hey, we're gonna shut down the economy. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna let uh, COVID dictate whether or not people can go outside, and that for for me as a as a retail like many business owners at that point, it was devastation. It was like, okay, so my business model depends on people coming to my store, and all of a sudden, people are not allowed to come, like legally. How long before COVID had you started the business? About uh, seven months. <laughs> yeah. So so very quickly went from very quickly went from like I'm on top of the world to hey oh oh crap <laughs> I'm, uh, this is uh this is not going the way that that, it, that I wanted it to. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. And how old were you when you started the business? Oh man, um, I was twenty two, twenty three. Yeah. So I actually, I did a stint in corporate America after graduating. Okay. So I, uh, I went to Texas A&M and, uh, I did not get into any of the Texas dental schools after graduating. I got accepted to a couple of private dental schools outside of, of the state, but my dad was a Texas grad. And so, you know, I went to A&M because he went to A&M. I wanted to go to the same dental school as him. And, and at that point I was not mature enough to, to realize, Hey, like I should just go to dental school wherever you get accepted because that's that's what you do. Like when you when you get a degree like I like I did, which is like in a specific field, you don't just stop your your uh, education because of your butt hurt about not getting to the school that you want to go to. Yeah. Uh, and and in retrospect, the way that things worked out, it um, it's actually great that I I didn't get in. And so like I, I want to highlight that uh, as a key key moment in my life because I thought. Growing up, because I was taught 
hey, you have to go to school to become successful. You have to you have to get a degree. You have to do things the way that that our parents or our society have told you to do it. And actually, all this pain that I experienced, all this rejection, uh, I was able to transform into energy to give me the outcome I desired without the vehicle that I desired it to be in. Does it make sense? It does. And I have to commend you on your ability to pivot at such an early age. Yeah. I see a lot of people that they'll they'll go to school, they'll get a degree in whatever it ends up being, and then they just pursue it, pursue it, pursue it. And then they almost kind of beat their head against a wall like, oh, my God. And then they find themselves 10, 20 years later just absolutely miserable instead of being willing to start over. Yeah. And you were able to start over at an early age. I didn't start over and branch out from IT over to HR and leadership until my mid-30s. So have you actually – this is a really good topic. Whenever I have conversations with people that are trying to figure out their path and figure out what they want to do in life, I tell them, try a whole bunch of things. Oh, yeah. Some people are open to trying new things, but some people are like, "Mm -mm, no, I'm not going to do that. So growing up, were you always into just like trying different things to see what you liked? Okay, so I feel that – that question, I, I have to give a little bit of context for because I'm one of 11 kids. So okay. growing up for me is not going to be the same way as growing up for you. No, no. You know? I was one of one. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the exclusive Sean Barnes. <laughs> I love it. No, but uh, so for for me, you know, I grew up learning, honestly, business because both my parents are, are entrepreneurs and really like. I guess really understanding like what it means to pivot because I've had to to change my desires growing up based on what was available to me, even though my parents are tremendously successful and my dad's dentist, my mom runs a million dollar business, whatever, because of, uh, they did not extend, um, more than, more than what was required to me so that I would not become an entitled human being. Does it make sense? I had to earn it. it. Good. That's actually really good. So I have, man, I'm flashing to people that I I know the parents ended up being wildly successful and then just gave the kids absolutely everything. And the only adversity that those kids had to really endure was stuff that was made up in in their heads. It wasn't actual adversity like, how are we going to pay the bills? What is this next month going to look like? No, and that's I'm, I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because if the adversity that that you face, for the most part, is ideological oppression and not actually the hardships that that a, an average person endures in life, you know, then you're you're disconnected from reality. You're not gonna if you don't understand the the struggle of the common man, you're not gonna be able to link yourself to being able to make money. And uh, I, I say more than more than anything that it's not it's not like if you, if you if you make your objective of making money you you might make money but if you make your objective solving problems you will make money most people miss that they get into business because i want to i want to drive the bugatti i want to drive the ferrari i want to travel the world i want to travel the world i want to be able to do nothing every day for the rest of my life <laughs> Without, re- without realizing that when you give up your nine to five for entrepreneurship, you're signing up for for nine to three a.m. Yeah, for probably at least five years, maybe a decade. Yeah, and it it requires a lot. 
there's a, there's a lot that that goes into establishing a successful business having what it takes under understanding that is is i think the thing that most people need help on cuz cuz right now like if you get on TikTok, Instagram, Shopify uh you would think it takes 20 bucks and uh and uh Amazon, you know, FBA store or <laughs> Shopify to become arbitrage. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have no idea and I'm sure that it's worked for some people and that they're raking in even more money, you know, yeah. convincing other people yeah. that 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 actually works. But uh, creating an experience, something unique, it requires much more than than that. I want to dive more into what it takes to start and build a business. But before we do, I want to go back to the conversation around adversity. Yeah, You and I had a great conversation probably about a month or so ago about how... Almost all successful people endured some yeah. level of adversity in their life. Absolutely. And whenever we say adversity, that can be relative, right? Oh, yeah. Somebody might have their dad that just walked out on them. Another person might have their dad who is an abusive alcoholic that just beat them every day. Both adversity. Both created unique challenges but also there's kind of a almost a band of if you have life too easy you're probably not going to be driven to achieve great things if you encounter too much adversity you're going to be kind of messed up yeah might make you psycho yeah, yeah. so there there's kind of this almost a band of of adversity and i'm curious if you're open to sharing what did that adversity look like for you and what is it that that drove you to do the things that you're doing. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm going to speak a little bit as a parent right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. I know that if I'm going to create strong men, mm -hmm. my boys, I've got two boys, Theo and Oak, mm -hmm. that daddy can't build the, the Lego house. But what I can do is I can sit there with the instructions, even though I don't want to, and go step by step through the 400 page Lego set that my wife bought for a four year old for some reason <laughs> and, and, and work and work with him and, and engage with him and look, look, look at him in the eyes and say, you can do this. I believe in you. I'm in your corner. Yeah. And I'm going to, and I'm going to be here the whole way you're building the house without actually building it for you. So that when we've reached the end of it, his sense of accomplishment is not owed to me. Because he did it, and the whole time he knew it was in his, I was in his corner. I think some parents struggle with that concept because they had a rough childhood. Oh yeah, and they don't want their children yes. to encounter that, and so maybe they yeah. the pendulum swings too far. Yeah. Of okay, well we've got this four hundred page instruction booklet, and okay, well you're doing good, you're doing good. Okay, well you're stuck here. Well let me let me help you with that because I don't want you to encounter too much adversity and the problem with that is you're you're kind of setting them up to be reliant on an outside party or factor fair yeah no that i mean you just hit that you just hit that right right on the head we we disable our children instead of equipping them 
if we do it for him. Mm-hmm. Can't do that. Yeah. You're not, you're not just killing their chances of ever being self-employed and entrepreneur. You're also making them the hardest person to work with in the, in the workforce. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to go get a W2 job and no one is going to like being around them. Yeah. It's gonna be because hard. they're going to want everything handed to them. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So let's, let's move forward a little bit in time and, and I don't want to dig deep into this, but it would appear that our education system is built around creating good little employees. I'm curious on what your perspective of wow, that is. Yes, <clears throat> absolutely. And I, I want to say, um, as somebody who's going to be a future billionaire, I need to say this. <clears throat> keep, keep it going. I need you in the workforce. <laughs> uh, but if you want to break free, like, if you, if, like, there, like there's a misconception of, of, I, the, I, around like money, like there's not, like there's not enough. Like we have to take, we got to take from the rich and give it to the poor. Yeah. When that's it's not, not a zero sum game. It's, it's not, not like it's if not. this person gets rich, you automatically yeah. get poor. And it's that's not. unfortunately a narrative that some people seem to think exists. You have to create you you, you have to create value. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I like to say I'm an expert at turning zeros into ones. And here's what's crazy is you can do that in your own life. And you can start making money, and the person that you were so interested in taxing, that you were so interested in extracting wealth from, they also become more rich because we live in the greatest country in the world, and that's how it works. And so this, so this idea that that somebody has to lose in order for you to get your share, to get what you, you know, to get, I want to get what I deserve, you know, I want to, <laughs> just like it, it kind of blows my mind. It just goes to show like that there's a very limited understanding of how the economy actually works. Uh, in the United States, yeah, that's not it. It, th- I will say this: I'm not a I'm not a big government guy. Mm-hmm. I also know as a business owner that the biggest contributor to the growth of the economy is the, is the government. Most people don't realize that because they're going to take tax dollars and they're going to spend it, not efficiently, mm-hmm. but they're going to spend it, mm-hmm. and that enables. New businesses or the same businesses that are that are already big to continue to continue this cash flow cycle. So when you look at our you know our global U.S. economy, which is I believe headed towards forty trillion dollars GDP, the only way that that we can increase that volume is to keep spending people, uh, sorry, keep getting people to spend money. And so, like you, it, it's 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 significantly more complicated, you know, because of the way that interest rates come into play and mm-hmm. the, how easy it is to get money but uh, we have a very very complex system mm-hmm. that if you gain any level of understanding of how it works then you realize oh accessing accessing liquid is not that hard yeah um it's actually like <laughs> really easy yeah <laughs> like more a lot easier than a lot easier than, than you think is because because banks are rewarded when they lend you money the economy is rewarded when they lend you money. The only time that 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 we lose is if people can't service their debts, which is why we have to like keep inflation, you know, under control. It's why we have to make sure that we don't uh, give the government too much power to act like idiots, like you know, like they're doing. But uh, but I you know I I I've certainly because I built a, I built a business uh, based around government and. I don't, I'm not ever going to have the mindset of, you know, biting the hand that feeds me. Mm -hmm. Like I can't, I can't, I can't have that. So finding a a middle ground, you know, that says, 
We need, we need the government. We need it. We actually do need it. And the government does not have to be nearly as big and powerful as it is right now for us to be the greatest economy in the world. Mm-hmm. And so finding, finding that middle ground is going to take time mm-hmm. because of the, the, gar- <laughs> the government is exclusively being run by people that would generally be considered unemployable yeah. in today's workforce. Mm-hmm. Because our generation, um, I'm going to say millennials and Gen Z, are not interested in government. We just, I'm like, we just don't care. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like, I've, I have thought about, you know, what, would I run for Congress? Yeah, I probably would. Mm-hmm. Do I want to? No. Is somebody eventually going to stand up to these people who are so corrupt? And as soon as they get in, they have a two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollar parachute for the rest of their lives, and somehow they become worth millions and millions of dollars. You know, like I look at, I look at uh, some of these AIs that are being built around uh, trading, mm-hmm. and they aren't even that smart. All they're doing is is looking at the way that Congress people are investing their money, and just saying, "Hey, this congressman just made this trade." We're going to suggest that you make that trade because that congressperson is is on the defense council, which means that they probably know they mm-hmm. probably have some insider information. Yeah, and there's no like there's no limit. Yeah, I mean you would go to jail if you did that yeah. on Wall Street. Oh yeah, but 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 Congress can get, can get away from it or can get away with it because they sit on top of the hill. Mm-hmm. And it's like we got to remember these people. These people are are here because they're they're supposed to be serving the the needs and desires and wants of of the collective american people not become um sorry not be self-serving and and become their own little king which it's like pretty frustrating you should not you should not have a 60 million dollar jet if if you only make two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year yeah there's no there's no world there's no world where that makes sense no okay so we've got an education system built around manufacturing good employees now, and I'll I really say, like that topic, by the way, yeah, yeah, and and I think that over the past, I'm going to say decade, it could be longer, but it it would appear that there's more of an allure to entrepreneurship. The thank, challenge thank is, God, yes, thank ex- God, it's coming back. Exactly. Yeah. The challenge is, we have so many people coming up in this in this generation where our education system is not built to educate people on how to build and run a business. They're educating them on how to, and programming them on how to be good employees. But then we've got this whole idea and concept around, hey, go be an entrepreneur, make a whole bunch of money, build something big. How do we close that gap to help people that want to step into entrepreneurship, but also make sure they know what they're getting into? Because most don't have a clue. Yeah. So what I would say is it, that 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 problem is 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 infinitely complex because because I think there are other major things that need to be addressed first. Like I think that there needs to be a totally re- a revamping of the way that we educate children. Period. Mm-hmm. You know, like I like I see most people don't know this. I'm going to call it right now. What is today? October twenty first, twenty twenty three. In the next five years, your education is going to be driven by AI almost exclusively. And if it's not, uh, then, the, then the private school, like I'm, I'm, I'm saying public education, 
there's going hopefully they'll come out with school vouchers or something but i can tell you because there are already schools that are using ai based education learning tools to help children learn at the pace that they want to so that so that they can get to where they want to in life there's going to that's going to create divide i mean like that that will create socioeconomic problems yeah. because of because of the people if you if you get raised it, it will become that if you get raised uh, in public education that you're almost destined for you're at least disadvantaged um, certainly not um, certainly not as equipped and so you know I, I that there's so many more factors that that go into that but I definitely think that revamping education this is the main point I want to make is that we need to we need to um, teach financial literacy how do you go to how do you go to high school for four years and you, and you graduate? And you're expected to get a job if you're not going to college, and you have no idea how to file your taxes. Seriously, seriously, who is making the decisions for how we teach our children? That child is never going to use the Pythagorean theorem. It's not going to happen. Take it at put like, I'm sorry. Replace their senior methods class with with you know IRS taxes 101. Like mm-hmm. teach them something. Yeah, because. Because and, and this is the reason I'm so passionate about this. The difference between the rich and the poor is the rich understand taxes, and that's what makes them rich because they're not losing 30% of their wealth every year to, to the government. Or more. Or more. Well, yeah, especially when you start talking about effective tax. Yep. You're losing 30% off the top when, mm-hmm. uh, of, of, of your income. Yep. And then you're going to the store and you're paying another 8%. And then, you know, whatever else. Uh, like it's there there are if you actually look at the effectiveness of your dollar i actually just uh read a study on this uh, about a week ago for every dollar that you earn you only get to keep about 67.5 cents yeah and that's like best case mm-hmm. that's best case mm-hmm. that assumes that 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 you are optimizing it yeah and that's that's a problem because there are ways that you can keep 90 cents on the dollar you know and if 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 you're set up as a business you can you can make certain tax deductible expenditures so that you can maximize your dollar and reinvest in your business even if you are a w-2 employee or full-time employment with a larger organization there is value in exploring setting up a dba setting up an llc and selling art on the side oh absolutely or if you're into fitness going to the gym and coaching people and trying to figure like there is value and i and i encourage people to explore those options have a conversation with a cpa pay for an hour or two of their time it will more than pay for itself if you find the right one because they can help talk you through these things that can save you a tremendous amount of money on taxes yeah now that that is a that is absolutely true and i think this kind of contributes back to the overall theme of like what does it actually take to be an entrepreneur there like you 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 hear the term ceo and it's like you hear that and you're like oh my gosh that's so sexy (laughs) oh my god i'm gonna be the ceo until until you realize that when you own your own business being the ceo means that you're the guy who like at the beginning is mopping the floors and taking out the trash mm-hmm. and is also doing is also reconciling bank statements yeah 
And doing the work. And doing the work. Yeah. You're, the, you're the chief everything officer. Also, for those of you that are an entrepreneur and have a CEO title and you are the only person, oh, let's evaluate the title because <clears throat> if anybody goes on LinkedIn or starts researching and says, okay, CEO, how many people work at your company? Oh, there's, there's nobody here. It's you. It's you. You're the chief leader of nobody. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's important. One of the best pieces of advice that was ever given to me is uh, I sat down with one, with one of my mentors and he said, uh, are you a leader? And I said, yeah, I'm a leader. And he said, do people follow you? And at that point in my life, you know, I, I didn't really have any followers. I said, no, like not, no, not, not really. This is before I started my business. And he goes, the thing that makes you a leader, like the one identifying thing that makes you a leader is you have followers. Okay. All right. Here we go. <laughs> so take, I'm going to get into this. Humility. Like you it does. actually come to that. It, it does. But here's the thing. I'm going to get into this because I love the topic of, of leadership, leading teams yeah. and people. Okay. We can still exude leadership qualities and traits, Absolutely. even if we do not have direct reports. Absolutely. If we work on a team full of individual contributors and none of them say we work on a team of five people, none of them report into me. Yeah. But there is, we'll say, a vacuum of leadership above. Yes. Not, there's always going to be a body up there, but maybe they're not developed as a leader. They don't know how to actually lead the team. You can step up and unofficially lead. You can inspire Absolutely. and influence the your peers. Yeah. Absolutely. So that is an important item of note. However, again, if you are a solopreneur, you are yeah. a solopreneur until you learn to build something up. So let's yeah. talk about that a little bit. Whenever you start growing a business, you go from being the jack of all trades. You have to do everything. You have to do invoicing. You do the work. You clean the floors. You do everything. And then it gets to a point where you can afford to bring in someone else. They come in. And you have to start teaching them how to do certain duties, whatever those tasks may be. One thing that I've seen entrepreneurs struggle with is actually releasing those duties mm -hmm. to that person. They still have to have control. Well, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it the way I want to do it. Have you, have you encountered that as a challenge in building your business? And then what did you do to overcome that? Yeah. Can I, can I, can I give a little bit more context on what my daily activities look like? Yes. Okay. So when I was by myself, when I first started my business, I was doing everything. And as I slowly grew my business and started bringing employees on, like I always knew that training them to free up my time was how I was going to make my time worth more money. Okay. So I, like I, 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 I would tell them I need to stop being the, the, the button man. I need to stop being the per person pushing the buttons. Uh, I would tell my team, uh, and to give a little more context, I had 25 employees when running my commercial printing company before I sold it. I would tell my team, if I'm out here on the floor with you, if I am having to actually physically do the work that's on the floor, 
then we are not making money collectively as a company. Like we may actually be producing the money out of the projects that we currently have, but my job as a CEO was to go capture new business, create create new verticals of uh, or sales funnels, and that that could not happen if I was having to intervene because I was the most knowledgeable person. So the best thing that I could do, not just for myself, okay, but for my people was to equip them, to train them, to teach them. And if they don't learn, if they are coming back to you constantly because they've developed a habit of, well, I'll just go ask this person because they know, then you either suck at training or you've hired the wrong person. There, you can never be too good at, at hiring or firing people. When you realize that being able to identify if you need to fire somebody the same day you hired them is an incredible skill to have, let me tell you, it saved you a lot of heartache. It will. And I'm, spe- I'm speaking from experience here. Well, and, and that's such a, such a great point because when people start businesses, they build friendships yes. and relationships yeah. with the people, and there is value in that. Absolutely. But as a leader, you have to understand where to draw that line and understand that, yes, we can be friends. We can be friendly and cordial, but there is still a boss-employee dynamic here. Accountability has to be a thing. Yeah. And if this is not the right fit... We need to be able to step up and say, this is not the right fit. We need to go separate ways. But this is another skill that is not really taught in our education system around having crucial conversations, having difficult conversations. Gray, man, I just hired you a week ago, but this yeah. is mm, this is not really working out. So yeah. I need to see this, this, and this. And if you can't get there, that's okay. I'm going to do everything I can to help you. But if yeah. you can't get there, we're going to have to go separate ways. And it's not a difficult conversation, no, but you have to learn e- levels of escalation. And some people go from here, and they, they internalize all their frustration, and then bam, you're fired. And then the employee has no clue what happened. Yeah. If, if you are measuring the, the success of your business, how your business is doing based on how you feel and not quantitative data, you know, I'm going to hire or fire somebody based on how I feel about them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a purchasing decision based on how I feel about it. Yeah. And not actually, you know, take a look at your P&L before or what the ROI on the investment is going to be. It is... Yeah, that that you're in for a world of pain um, with without taking your emotions out of it. Like I never under, like when I first started a business, I never really understood like the the term it's just business. Because when you're a solopreneur, it's all personal. Mm-hmm. I am the business. <laughs> you know, this business wouldn't be here if it wasn't, if it wasn't for me. <laughs> and uh, and that is both true. It is, it is true. The business wouldn't be there if it wasn't for you. If, if that fact doesn't change after you've been doing it for five years, after you've hired people, like the business would stop existing if you stop showing up, then guess what, buddy? You built your business wrong. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, <laughs> Sorry. I, I have to interject and say that there is a little bit of a dichotomy here. Yeah. Because I do believe that strong entrepreneurs 
they care so much and that's part of why they're able to build such an incredible yes. following but again there's this pendulum i care all this or just pure data data logic yeah. you have to find that that sweet spot and you have yeah. to feel comfortable bouncing from one side to the other sometimes you have to make a difficult decision based on data logic and facts yeah. sometimes you can lean more into the kindness candor and, and empathy yeah. to make sure that this high performer maybe they're going through a rough patch in their life and yeah. their numbers aren't that great but their wife just left them they had a, a parent just die okay well your numbers suck you're fired that Mm, yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't really build it loyalty. Work. It yeah. doesn't work, right? So there is a balance here that has to be struck. Yeah. No, uh, to, to what you just said, Sean, uh, there th that pendulum, um, I call it the creativity and a quantitative swing. And so in certain industries, you actually have to be all the way over here on the creative side mm -hmm. because you're an artist, because you, know, you, you, you create... And when you put your feelings into your work, it makes it so much more beautiful. I, I don't ever want to discount that at all. And then there are also industries, you know, like financing, <laughs> where your job is to sit in front of a desk and look at numbers. And it's, and, and, and it also, you know, I, so I say it's industry specific and I don't want to take the human aspect out of doing business because as leaders, um, the most important quality that you can have is compassion for your people to be able to see, to be able to a real leader makes decisions based off of data and can look past the data at to what the actual issue may be because of the data only comes after the fact the data is not, is not the thing causing the problem or giving you or giving you the success. It, it is just the, the, the final checkpoint. Uh, of what what are the deeper rooted things that are happening, and so when you become a when when you when you have passion, you know when you are uh, sympathetic to the hardships that your employees may experience, that's one great way to develop loyalty. Mm -hmm. I mean that's incredibly important. Well, one of the things that I focus on in my business is that our our three core verticals: people, processes, and technology. And you and I have had some conversations yeah. on this front because you have to start with the right people. If you don't have the right people on the bus, you're you're not going to get anywhere, right? Oh, it's yeah. just not going to work. Yeah. Once you get the right people on the bus, then you've got to train them, develop them, and make sure they're on the right seat on the bus. Once you have the right people in the right seat on the bus, then let's look at the business processes. Yeah. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with Lean, Six Sigma, process mapping, things like that. But it's important for you to be able to grow and scale, for you to have documented, repeatable processes so that you can train new people yeah. as they come in the door. Oh, yeah. And the technology comes in on the back end. And this is where Absolutely. a lot of businesses struggle. Ooh, this new ERP system is going to solve all my problems. Well, yeah. Not if you have people or process problems. Yeah. So normally that stuff comes into play as scale becomes increasingly important. As you start growing and scaling a business, those things become more yeah. and more important. Early on, yes, they are important. The people are very important, but it's it's operating kind of at a different scale, quite frankly. And this is a conversation that I do want you and I to get into because You've had experience starting, building, exiting your own business with sounds like 25 employees. 
And you and I's first conversation, you wanted to start talking about how do I get experience in larger publicly traded corporations yeah. so that I can better understand scale. Now, my background is in large publicly traded yeah. corporations, and now I'm starting a small business. So there's a little bit of a a this opposing experiences that you and I have that I do want us to talk to on on this show. Yeah. Yeah, I you know it's it, it's almost interesting because at, at the point that we met, I was saying I want to hop into middle market corporate America so I could get this next level experience that I that I need. Mm-hmm. And you were saying I want to get out of middle market corporate America <laughs> and become a and, and become, you know, a full-time entrepreneur. Yep. And so uh so all that to say, you know, it doesn't matter if you're 18 or 40 or even 60. It's never too late to start your business. Don't let anybody ever convince you of that. The most important thing that you can do is make up your mind. Are you going to do it or not? Because if you tell me you're going to do it, then get off your ass and go do it. Okay. Uh, but don't, don't don't tell me don't tell me you're going to do it and then and then also give me a list of reasons of or, or a list of reasons of why you can't or start naming all of, all of the the things all of the problems that you are going to face because that is not how an entrepreneur thinks. No. At all. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and share a story. <laughs> so I've had my consulting business. I actually started it back in 2016, 17 during the downturn at oil and gas. Did a okay. little bit of side consulting because we laid off half of the company that I was working for. And I thought, ooh, I might want to have something to fall back on. Oh, yeah. So I started doing a little bit of consulting on the side. Now, as things rebounded in oil and gas, I pretty much parked the entity. I kept it active and just made made sure that it was maintained, but didn't really do any, any work in it. And then fast forward through the pandemic, started to do a little bit of stuff on the side again. And then most of what I was doing was really just kind of coaching people and stuff on the side. All right. Well, I had had some conversations with a friend of mine, an entrepreneur, has a business in Conroe, and just over the years, okay, yeah, I'm doing this side thing, this is what's going on. Fast forward a couple years later, I said, well, yeah, you know, one day I'm going to go ahead and do my, my business full time. And he looked at me, he's like, oh, you still talking about that? It's like, oh, <laughs> God damn, that was brutal. But it was what yeah. I needed to hear because, yeah. and I actually recorded a post and shared it. I probably have to go dig that up. But yeah. man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Now, because of my life growing up without any sort of money, I've always been very risk averse, which yeah. does not work in the entrepreneurship. I'm on the other side of that. You can ask my wife. She hates it. I'm, I'm like... <laughs> All the risk, all the time. Let's do it. <laughs> well, that's how you achieve greatness, yeah. right? But so I grew up so risk averse. And even as I started making more money in corporate America, I was just hoarding it and hoarding it because yeah. I was deathly afraid of now that I've got some level of financial security, yeah. losing it. Mm. And then it got to a point where I'm like, okay, my morals and values and my mission and purpose in life outweigh me having this comfort in corporate America. And one of the things that I've gone back and forth with my family on of stay at a, stay at a company, stay at a job, it's yep. so much more stable and secure yeah. and 
working in oil and gas, I've realized that the second a downturn hits, there is no security, yeah. right? You have to add value to the organization. If you don't add enough value, you're going to be gone. Yeah, you're done. And and it's not that it's big, bad, evil corporations. It's that they have to make decisions to ensure the survival of that company. While we would have to lay off 50% of the company, what that also meant is 50% of the company got to keep their job and continue supporting their families. Yeah. Now, one of the things I came to realize over the years and in, in talking to my mom about this quite a bit was whenever you go into entrepreneurship, you're taking on ownership and carrying everything on your own shoulders. It's no longer if a senior executive makes a poor business decision that's completely out of your hands, potentially impacting your livelihood and your ability to support your family. Yeah. Now it's all on your shoulders. Yep. Also, as you start building your business, you actually spread out the risk. If you have 10 clients and all of a sudden two or three go away, you still have seven clients yep. left to be able to support you and your family and your business. You might have to adjust or pivot if a pandemic hits, but what you're doing is spreading that risk out. It's scary. Oh, it's yeah. it's going to involve a ton of work, but that route of entrepreneurship actually, if you know what you're doing, can spread that risk out and be less risky than having a full-time job in one single source of income. Yeah. Yeah. I, you just said so many things that people need to hear. And I'm, I'm going to go back and tell you exactly how I heard it. Hey America, you want to know why you're not the direct beneficiary of the effort that you put in to the work at your job? And why you produce hopefully three to five hundred thousand dollars in value for your organization and get paid seventy k a year? It's because it's not on all on your shoulders. You're not bearing the weight of the, of the responsibility for your life. You feel comfortable. You're hooked on that addictive salary. That salary is what people pay you to give up your dreams. Absolutely, and and people don't people they just they like they forget it. And and I and look, um, I don't. I'm being an entrepreneur isn't for everybody. Mm -mm. So I'm I, I don't want to convince the the wrong people to to get into entrepreneurship because of, it will be more pain than anything. I think that you'll still learn a lot of great lessons. So. If you want to go for it, do it. Like you can learn a lot about life being an entrepreneur and, and failing, failing, incorporating failure into your daily into your daily life is one of the most important things that you can do. And it's so, but and, and here's one of the reasons is because it's so anti-American. <laughs> Americans live for instant gratification, instant success. I have to. Everyone needs to think I'm accomplished. Sean, I need you to think that I am the best person, the most successful person in the world. And, the, and when the reality is, while I may be successful, that I probably failed more than anybody you know. I've had a thousand times the opportunities to fail because it's all on me. It's my money. Mm -hmm. It's my decision. It's my action. So whether or not things worked out, I didn't have anybody to blame. That that's what that's what entrepreneurship is. Yeah, it, it's it's taking control of your life. It's putting it all on your shoulders. Um, you said another thing that I really loved, which basically is, you know, how, how do you, how do you base your decisions? If you are, if you're making decisions 
in your personal life or in your business out of fear, that is gonna that is going to make jumping into risk much harder. And entrepreneurship is all about risk. One of the best things that you can do is is learn how to evaluate risk, develop a gut, learn how to read a balance sheet, P and L, get quantitative, you know, understand the data that's in front of you. And here's the thing I do want to touch on because I can speak to this uh, at great lengths. The entirety of my life, I've been extremely risk averse. And whenever I had a conversation with my boss at the full-time company that I departed, he had been an entrepreneur for the majority of his life. He understands taking on risk. He's built a number of businesses. And we started talking through where my head was at. I've always had this fire inside of me, and I've talked about it on the show. Right out of college, I had two failed attempts at starting a company. One was a computer repair company. The other was an automotive speed shop because I like racing cars. Both failed miserably. I thought coming out of college, I knew how to run a business. I quickly learned that was not the case. Now, over the past two decades, I have learned more about how to run a business. And my idea around mitigating risk was save money, save money, save money, start understanding what it takes to run a business. And Mm. due to the nature of my role in oil and gas, I had so many incredible opportunities to get exposure to entrepreneurs. I've been a part of 48 acquisitions and integrations. And all of those, I had an opportunity to meet. I mean, through due diligence, through integration, got to meet and spend a lot of time with the entrepreneurs and build relationships and friendships and understand what drove them, how they did the things. And it always came down to their risk tolerance being through the roof. They seem like crazy people. Yeah, just doing whatever (laughs) it took (laughs) to make it happen. Now, I also realized whenever I was having that conversation with my previous boss of I've had this dream of entrepreneurship at some point, I have to get comfortable with taking risk. And my way of mitigating that risk was saving money, saving money, hoarding cash and setting myself up so that I could comfortably live without a steady paycheck for a few years. Yeah. And when we first had the conversation, he looked me in the face and said, are you ready to get paid? Or to not get paid for two years at least. Yeah. And I said, I can go seven very comfortably. Yeah. And the look on his face shifted immediately and he knew, okay, Sean's taking this seriously. Yeah. He is ready to go all in. Yeah. Now that was my approach to mitigating risk. I'm not saying you have to save up seven years of being able to pay your bills before you go start a business. Yeah. Start building something on the side. You always hear about these side hustles. Tony Watley came on the show. He wrote yeah. a book, Side Hustle Millionaire. You can do stuff on the side. Your full-time employer is probably not going to like it, but you can do stuff on the side to start building those skills. Mm-hmm. Also, understanding effective communication and building relationships, because when you build a business, you're going to have to lean into relationships and you're going to have to understand what drives and motivates people on the customer side and on the employee side. Yeah, no, uh, that's that's really great. You you said this. uh, You said your employer is probably not going to love it if you build a side hustle. So. I want to speak to this because I, th- I I think that my fellow executives need to hear this. You're not entitled to your employees weekend. Sorry, you don't pay for that. If you want it, if you don't want them to build a side hustle, then then give them opportunity to do the work that they want to do on the weekend because if there are tons of young 
hungry entrepreneurs who want to do the work that you're not giving the reward to. And let me tell you, this is a biblical principle. A, a, a reward withheld makes your people perish. So your philosophy of, well, I'm going to make him work extra hard. I want to I want to see him put in 80 hours a week for five years before I give him anything. Dude, <laughs> you may get that out of certain people who are too foolish to walk away from you. The the smart person is going to say, this is not somebody who, who values my time or, or the amount of energy that I want to pour into this organization because my priority is building is building my individual wealth. That's what it should be for every single person in our, in our facility. I, I would tell my employees this. If you're for here, if you are here for any other reason other than making money, you're here for the wrong reason. Because guess what? When you leave here, like me as an employer, I don't want to uh, feel bad if you're not taking enough money home because you're not putting in the effort because you don't actually want it. I want to feel good about how much money I pay you, and that's going to be predicated on how much value you deliver to the to the to the company. That is an is an important topic. Okay. I've had more people than I can count come to me expressing their frustration. I'm not paid enough. Yep. This is what I should be getting paid based off of salary.com. Yeah. And the, the, <laughs> the, the, the easy, not the easy answer. How to the become ans- disgruntled immediately. Go to salary.com. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The easy answer is, and it's not easy. It's simple, not easy. Add more value. Yeah. to the company. Yeah. That is how you increase your salary. If you can't measure the value that you deliver to your company, then don't be surprised when you don't get the salary uh, yeah. raise that you want. Yeah. I'm doing 25% extra work. <laughs> really? Show me. Yeah. How much is that contributing to the bottom line? How much uh, yeah, how much is it contributing to the bottom line? The I think the I think the the thing that most people forget is that it's not really about working eight hours a day because you'll go work in places where, you know, like in, in manual trades, they work 12 hours a day because that's what it takes to get the work done. And when you get your mindset out of, I have to work eight hours and put it into, I have to get this done. Guess what, bro? You may be able to get it done in two hours because you're leveraging the power of AI in, in, in your role. Your employer has no idea. And all of a sudden you've got more free time. You're still taking your meetings. You're still taking your calls. Employers should not care if you are delivering the value that they're expecting. Yeah. You just turned your you just turned your forty hour work week, and now you're only now you're only working three days. Mm-hmm. That's work that, smarter, not harder. Yeah. I I mean, it's it's one thing to hear that. It's a totally separate thing to actually go out and look at what are the smartest people in the world doing right now. You know, I was I was just in a meeting uh, with my dad who is an incredibly smart entrepreneur. And we were meeting with some people at DOD because the government is trying to hire people right now for AI. And dude, <laughs> if you're an AI right now, you're writing your own, you're writing your own oh, you know, check. Absolutely. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. Um, these people are making, you know, $900,000 a year. So... It won't always be that way, but to win, you don't have to end up in a role where you're successful for the rest of your life. You just have to keep chasing opportunities that that result in, in wins. The first real world application of AI that I've seen significant improvements in my ability to increase productivity 
which you and I kind of talked about yeah. on the podcast. So whenever I edit these, because I do all the editing myself, whenever I have a guest on, you have full frame, I have full frame. Yeah. If it's an hour, hour and a half long episode, it usually takes me an hour and a half to two hours to go chop it up, yep. flip the audio back and forth, flip the video feeds back and forth. I came across a tool. I think it's called Autopod, if I remember correctly, yeah. where the AI plugs in to your video editing software and it automatically flips the camera feed That's back and awesome. forth based on whoever was That's talking. So cool. Now, I load up both video sources, all the audio in there, hit go, an hour-long episode, it chopped up in 90 seconds. Wow. I just reclaimed an hour and a half to two hours yeah. of my life every week that yeah. I have a guest by leveraging a tool. And yes, I had to pay 40 bucks a month for this tool. Yeah. Well worth, worth it. Worth it, yeah. Oh my God. Now, that's just a, a small, tiny little example of how powerful AI can be. And earlier this week, I was at a CHRO conference and presented on generative AI and it's in its impact on employee populations oh, yeah. and all of these HR executives like, Oh, we want to do this. We want to do this now. Very, very powerful. However, it's important that you understand what you're getting into. Whenever yeah. you start looking at employee data and information and then handing the keys over to an AI that admittedly is a bit of a black box, we don't yeah. always know Still how being developed. it gets the answers yeah. that it gets. Also, if your data is not clean, if it is not structured in a way that's that's meaningful and the AI can fully leverage, you might get multiple answers from the same data set, which if an employee is talking to a chat bot, hey, what benefits plan should I use? Yeah. And the chat bot says, oh, do this. And then the employee goes and does that. And then there's some sort of issue that comes yeah. up based on feedback from an AI. Hello, litigation. Yes. Right. So have to make sure that you've got governance in place. Yeah. And, and I'm talking about at scale leveraging AI. There's all sorts of social media, video editing and st stuff like that, that those things aren't as relevant or applicable for. All of that to be said, AI is extremely powerful and it's changing our world right in front of our eyes. Oh, yeah. There was a there was a summit where all of the smartest people in the world, the key contributors to AI, got called to Washington, and they unanimously agreed that there needs to be governance on AI. Oh, absolutely. Like, like and, and this is something that Elon has been talking about oh, for yeah. years, right? Yeah. He's one of the, the, the leaders he, in, I, in I AI. I would say I would not call Elon the father of AI, mm. but I would call him the sugar daddy <laughs> because homeboy's been funding it so thanks yeah. elon really appreciate it you're making our lives better yeah you know did it with with the the tesla i love my tesla yeah you know like i i don't think that if i can be brutally honest sorry elon i i don't think that electric cars are the future mm -hmm. but i'll tell you this much the technology they put in that car is the future yes yeah i sent the uh, i sent uh an email to the ceo of ford a couple weeks ago and I just because I because I drive a Tesla and I used to drive a Ford F one fifty, and I just I, I sent him an email very short. Hey, I miss driving Ford. <laughs> I really do. I would love to hop back into a gas you know gas powered utility, utility vehicle, but I can't walk away from this this Tesla experience. the 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 experience that I get being in my car, the fact that it drives me around to ninety nine percent of the places that I want to go to. The, the UI, UX, the, the whole nine, 
even my kids, dude. My kids, my kids know how to how to how to run the 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 car. Mm-hmm. It needs to be, it needs to become universal. Yeah. And so, you know, unfortunately for Ford, I'm pretty sure Elon uh, went to Ford and asked them to uh, to buy him at one point, and they were like, Yeah, I think it was it was decade ago. It yeah, was a he, while back. he was yeah. I mean, he was like on the verge of bankruptcy. bankruptcy. Yeah, it was bad. And they were like, No. <laughs> Sorry, we don't we don't we don't look past our our own foreheads here. Yeah, and um, you know, and I'm sure that was um, you know, I'm sure that was a, a quantitative decision. They 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 did they they looked at the data and said, sorry, we're not interested in buying something that clearly isn't working mm-hmm. without seeing the vision. Yeah, of what was actually going on. But they regret that. Oh yeah, <laughs> one thing that Ford is doing right that I want to give them a compliment on is they they are finally bringing in their their user experience in house. Ford has forever one of the one of the, their um, executives said this a couple of years ago. They have had no control over the the user experience in their car because of there were it, it was something ridiculous. Like a thousand different companies that had input as to what was going into that experience. So you wonder why it sucked. Yeah. It's because there's not a unified vision. Yeah. There's not you know, there's there's no there's no um consistency. And and that is the thing that Elon has done so well. You look at any of his companies, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. So so awesome uh to to be a part of. Like so so awesome to experience. Um yeah, like I, I, kudos to to people who who are not giving up their vision uh, for short term profit. Oh man, yeah. okay, yeah. All right, so this is one thing that I've had conversations with some of my consultants. Not that I have any sort of aspirations to grow my consulting business I have now to this size or scale. Yeah. Never going to sell this particular business. There will be other businesses that I create in the future that I'll have a plan to exit this particular business because of its ability to positively impact lives. It's close to the chest, never going to sell, never going to go public. I've seen this happen on a few different occasions and for companies I've worked for in the past. And then you you can just kind of see this out there. When when companies go through that IPO process, mm-hmm. their focus has a tendency to shift into other areas, away from the people and customers into yeah. the next quarterly financial statements. And to be fair, oh, yeah. that's kind of required. Once yeah. you're a publicly traded organization, yeah. there's a lot more, well, I say vested interest. There's other, there's other things at stake that you have to account for, Yeah. right? Yes, that's fair. Now, okay, so a perfect example that comes to mind, Gary Vaynerchuk. He openly yeah. talks about this, how he could very easily IPO VaynerMedia, make enough money to buy the Jets probably many times over if yeah. he wanted to, which is the dream of his. However, he has no any sort of aspirations to be beholden to the shareholders and a board because he has develop this ability to have a long-term vision and focus on execution. And if it means sacrificing a few quarters or a few years to achieve that long-term vision, he's very comfortable in doing so. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where my head is at. That's good. No. Because I, I like, yes, money's great. But once you get to a certain point in your life, your relationship with money starts to change. Yeah. Some people, Next. that's 
all they care about. It doesn't matter how much money they make. All they care about is how much more can I make? Yeah. When you get to a certain point in your life, and not everybody gets there, your relationship with money changes, and yeah. it becomes a tool for you to achieve things that you want to achieve in life. It's yeah. no longer I want more so I can buy more boats and houses and vacations and things. Yeah. You can't be on more. You can't be on two boats at one time. <laughs> yeah. No. No. I, I I love this uh, because you ask ninety nine percent of the people. You know why? Like, why do you want to start your own business, or like, or or even why do you want this particular job? And it always boils down to mm-hmm. to one thing, which is what's my income going to be? How much money am I going to make? And and I I can relate to that. Okay, I'm going to speak from experience here. When I did not have money, all I did was chase money. Yep, same. And because it's like if I just if I could just get ten thousand dollars a month which right now is way above average. And then it's like, if I could just get $15,000 a month and then $20,000 a month. And then once you realize that basically anything over $20,000 a month, it's just like, what What am I going to do with this money? Like, if you can get there, I, you know, you can live pretty comfortably. But if you don't ever change, change your perspective and realize, oh, this is not very fulfilling you know this is not this is chasing money is not actually what i want to do for the rest of my life i mm-hmm. i i want to i need to find i need to find something new to attach myself to because money will consume you it will it, it comes just as easily as it goes what was that number for you you just cited 10 grand a month 20 grand a month was there a number at which you surpass that level of income and then your relationship with money started to change into yeah. what am i going to do with this was it 20 grand a month was it yeah yeah you know? it was actually a little less than that uh, when i crossed $16,000 a month mm-hmm. and and take home like i mean dude we were living off of i want to say 30 to 40% mm-hmm. and then like every month like we just had all this other money that we did not know what to do with I- and, and it was nice because if it was like, you know, okay, like your income is your biggest shovel, okay? Like this like this, this is super important. You know, Dave Ramsey teaches this, this is something I agree with him on. The, your, the, the, the quickest way that you are going to improve your life is focusing on, is focusing on what your income is. But that is not a, that's not a long-term strategy. It is if you wanna wait till you're 59 and a half to become a millionaire. If you wanna, if you wanna wait until you're almost dead, to become a millionaire, listen, to Dave Ramsey. Okay, I'm gonna throw him under the bus right now. I don't like the way I don't like the way he teaches people to be, to be drones. Well, okay, hold on. So let's okay. It's important that as you climb out of nothingness, yes, that you learn certain skills. Yeah. Now, I think that Dave Ramsey brings a lot of value to the table to the people that are used to living in eternal debt. Oh yeah, paycheck to paycheck. And, no, yeah, I, and I, he, I don't want to discount what what he's done. He's yeah. helped a ton of people. He helps a ton yeah. of people, but when you get yeah. to a certain point, that model starts to lose efficacy, right? You've got to start shifting yeah. into learning new skills yeah. and understanding what is that next level that I have to take. And I think there's a pro there's a, I'm not going to say a problem. Some people get stuck into whatever Dave Ramsey says yeah. I'm going to do. Yeah. And then they end up not, you know, becoming a millionaire until yeah. they're 59. You need it. It's when you finally get out of debt and you stop being an idiot with your money. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm being serious here. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not saying cut up the credit cards. 
But I am saying stop buying stuff you can't afford. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Like, stop it. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Quite because, frankly. Because it's, we, live in a, we live in a society of instant, of instant gratification. So I don't, I want to say this. I'm not, I'm, I'm not discounting what Dave has done. What he's doing is incredibly important. Like his mission and vision has helped so many people. I'd like to propose something else. Why don't we just teach kids in high school not, how not to be stupid with money? Mm. Why, is, why is Dave Ramsey a direct beneficiary of, of, of idiots coming out of high school and, and immediately jumping into debt? You can ask, you can ask Dave knows this. It's like the it's the 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 and you, you probably you might know this. Uh, what is the first purchase that 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 someone makes after they get a job? Probably a house, new car, new car. Like yeah. it's insane. Like yeah, over ninety percent of people as soon as they get their first job out out of school, new car. I don't know how I feel about that. Being that I just bought a TRX after yeah. leaving my job. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. But but. Uh, that I mean that is a to- you're in a totally different season of life. Yeah, you know, yeah. you've already you've already paid your dues. Mm-hmm. You know, you've already done the time. Yeah, we should not be enabling kids to put themselves in so much debt at the beginning of their lives, yeah. and then be shocked if they default on it, mm-hmm. and then be shocked that that they hate the system of government that that we're we're living under. Yeah, and I'm. I, I think that if we were to were to restructure just generally our economy to enable people who want to create business and drive value economic value instead of enabling instead of enabling enabling people who want to take on liabilities, we'd everyone would be better off. And in the short term, that kind of sucks because it's like, well, I'm not going to be able to go, you know. <laughs> this sounds so stupid. Me and my wife did this right after we graduated. I'm not going to be able to go to the furniture furniture store and take out a three thousand dollar, you know, credit card for the couch that I want. So I like. Let me tell you. Like I've 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 been stupid. I've done stupid. And that couch felt so great until thirty days later when I, when I got that credit card bill in the mail, mm-hmm. and then I was like, oh, yeah, this is something that I can't actually afford. You know, and it, and it cha- and it changed your perspective, but people are hooked on how do I, you know, how do I, how do I make this thing that I can't afford something that I can fit into into my life right now, instead of having to, to earn it, instant gratification, instant gratification, yeah. and you know, and credit, and the the way that the current credit system is structured, it does that. I do want to talk about, I do want to talk about this. You 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 had said that you saved you know, seven years worth worth of income to, yeah. to be sustainable. I like, yeah. I hear that and I'm like, holy crap. Like that, you know, that, that is a, that's a lot of effort that requires a lot of discipline. And, and I want to caution you because while you did do such a great job saving income, you also, whether you realize or not, gave yourself a little bit of a, a, a disadvantage by giving yourself that big of a cushion. Mm-hmm. You have got to feel the pressure. Mm-hmm. You have got to feel uh, the the risk and the anxiety because the, the only way that that we can become connected with the way that that money flows with with the economy to really get to to put your finger on the pulse is to is to be in it every day to to feel the to feel the pressures that that other people are i by the way i i like knowing what you did 
probably should have done that, but went the, went the totally other direction. You know, I, I did very well in corporate America. I only did it for 18 months. I had $50,000. And um, I was like, you know, I, I purchased, I purchased a business at $50,000 left, which was, which was not even a year's worth of income for me. And immediately we just started hemorrhaging because of the, the, the business that I ended up buying. They, they gave us bad financials for still bought the business. Yeah. What was one of the key contributors to why I had to pivot it. So, you know, definitely lots of hard lessons learned because of, I thought I was smart enough to buy business because I was smart enough to save money. Not the case. Should have should have brought in a third party, and all, all of that to say, by by jumping in it and and realizing that I could see the end of the runway, that this thing had to come off the ground, or I was about to crash and burn into a wall. Yeah, that that made me work at a level that most people can't or won't. Yeah, and and it was not out of fear. It was it it was out of this is like this is what I have to do I have to do this because otherwise I just spent over hundred thousand dollars and I'm right back in corporate America and so finding facing facing adversity okay this is really important one of the most what one of the uh, key qualities that you can have as as an entrepreneur is optimism you know I we call it optimism what it actually is is hope. And that hope is based on what you see in the future. Maintaining that vision and then applying discipline with consistency over time is how you get there. And then all of the problems that, that you face on a daily basis are no longer the immediate enemy. It's just the next it's just the next thing in the road. You know, like oftentimes that we oftentimes that we we forget, you know, as as when you first start and you're a solopreneur. Like you need to look at what you're doing is building a ship. You can't let anybody on that ship until, until it's ready to sail. That's not going to happen. And if you do, they might, they might, uh, have a different quality of craftsmanship for your ship than you do. You're going to get out to sea. And when you start taking on water, you're going to, you're going to be like, what, (laughs) what did I do? You know, like how did, how did, how did I get here? And so, yeah, definitely, definitely want to say for most people, because of, most people are not going to be able to save seven years worth of income. Most people want to be able to do what I did and, and such short. I, the only reason I was able to do it because I was in sales. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, going back to talking about employers not being entitled to your weekend, you can do something on the side. And this, this is like something that most people miss. It's easier to make ten thousand extra dollars than it is to save ten thousand dollars. Most people think most people think I'm going to save this money and then instead of I'm going to I'm going to you know I'm going to I'm going to earn that extra money. Well, they have to have skills that they can monetize. Yeah, and most people have skills. Yes, they don't know how to monetize. Most people have skills. And don't uh, uh, have the lens to see opportunity. Does it make sense? Which is why they're stuck on salary. It's the same reason that they can't quantify all this extra value that they're delivering to to their job. 
and yeah. then they and then they get frustrated when they don't when they don't get paid. I had this guy. I had this guy come to me one time. He was a he's a family friend, much older than me, and he was complaining to me about his uh, his job. Thinking about leaving my job. Been working so hard. I've been there for I've been there for four years, and I'm and I'm like I'm delivering so much more value than than I was. So I I didn't say you know, oh yeah man you should leave him. I just started asking questions. Does your boss know you're delivering more value? Is he seeing it on the bottom line? Can you write down all the ways that you're delivering more value for me? And then all of a sudden, I could just see like it was the first time in his life somebody had somebody had asked him, you know, these questions like quantify it, like it, put it on paper, like let me let me see it, show me where you were, and now show me where you are, and then let's measure that the, the difference in value. And, and come up with an agreement, a, a new agreement for pay. But most people don't think in those terms. They think this is how I feel, this, you know. Yeah. And you can't. I'm. It goes back to, it's just business. Like it's got. It has for, from from a from a numbers perspective. It has to make sense. This is how this is how you. By the way, this is how you end up firing half your your half of your workforce when things happen, because. Like it, it is really scary. Like it, it's, it's very hard. Most people don't realize that the majority of employers, like when things are good, almost um, at least half the budget is going into investing people in the hope that they will deliver more value than they are consuming in the organization. And so then you wonder why you end up getting fired. It's like we tried as the employer, we spent money on you you know, we paid you a salary. We we were you know we were investing in you, and you were doing work, and we're not discounting the work that you're doing because that's what we were saying we were paying you for. You just never produced more value than you took. Yeah, that's a hard reality, and this goes this goes back to putting it all on your own shoulders, taking responsibility for your life. You know, like I I, I really do believe like we all have the same amount of time in every single day we each utilize it differently there there are people that that work harder than you do or, or work longer than you do or work smarter than you do at some point you have to you have to realize that if you want the salary of, of the top one percent that you have to dismantle whatever identity you have of yourself and and start incorporating the values uh, of of the top one percent into into who you are and what you embody and right. how you think you got you you've been touching on a few things that are extremely powerful yeah. that I I do want to dive into I'm going to kind of work backwards through it let's touch on this this one percent do you know what the top one percent earners in the U S make uh yeah I mean I, I want to say it's just shy of of five hundred thousand dollars a year yeah four sixty yeah. eighty yeah. something something like that okay now. As an individual contributor, unless you are in a field like AI, it's highly in, unlikely that you are going to earn that level of income. Unless you're sales, yeah. sales and leadership usually yeah. have a tendency to get into those realms. Yeah. Fair? Fair. Yeah. Fair. Okay. Early on in my life, I was the individual contributor, the Typical IT nerd, focused on data center architecture, yeah. all the technology geeky stuff. And I was able to 
achieve levels of income, you know, get the six-figure salary, then the director title and the mm-hmm. VP title, all, all of that good stuff. It wasn't until I started stepping into a leadership role and focusing all of my energy and efforts on building others that my level of income started to get into this realm and beyond, which speaks to the power of lifting others up. Oh, yeah. For oh, sure. my God. That changed my life whenever I started to focus on building others instead of what could I accomplish. Whenever it was, I've got 80 people across all these teams. What can I help all of them accomplish? And what I recognize is all ships rise with the tide. As I help them achieve success, yes, I achieved more levels of success, higher levels of income. That wasn't the driver anymore, though. For me, it was about all of the people on my team. So that is one thing that I I always have to share with people is when your mindset shifts into I'm no longer an individual contributor, I want to spend all of my energy and effort into building others. Yeah. It changes your life in more ways than you can possibly imagine. Fair? No, a- a- absolutely fair. It's why we call it corporate because of collectively we're doing this as a team. Yep. And what what ends up happening in a lot of uh, corporate cultures is is an incorporation of I I I I I, and you know we we all we've we've all heard it when we're kids. There's no I in team. That when when you reach a corporate level of business, is it, it's so unfortunate because of the business is large enough to sustain itself because of there are because of there are key earners who are driving sales mm-hmm. and they are the worst people to be on the, te- on the team with oh yeah and it's and 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 the irony is those same people who are the top earners could be contributing so much more value to the organization if they would just get out of their own way and start and start equipping the people around them as I'm, well i'm gonna drop gary v's name again he always talks about how he is very comfortable getting rid of his top salesman if they're toxic to the corporation yeah. And that is a mindset that a lot of business leaders, they they don't follow. No. Because it's, oh, look at all this revenue. Look at all this top line this person's bringing me. Yeah. Oh, I know. They're they're making everybody else on the team miserable. But look at all that revenue, right? That's the wrong way to look at it. Yeah. My God. But 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 really, though, I mean, and that, and that, kind, of, uh, contri- that kind of contributes to two key things. One is, do, have you created a product that has so many flaws that the only way it's getting sold is through a salesperson. Do they really, is it, are they, do they really make up th- that much in their presentation for, for your product? That's a key thing that people need to think about. And the two is, does the harm that this, th- that this person is causing in the business, um, it, it, can we can we really justify that through all all, all of the revenue that they're producing? And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you this right now: absolutely not. There's no amount of money. There's not. There's not. There's not. I've seen this more times than I can count. Sometimes in sales, sometimes in other functional areas within yeah. an organization, when you have that person at the top that is just this toxic black hole. Yeah. When you finally get them, it does not matter what they contribute to the top line. When you finally get them out of the organization, the entire team, their output 
more than doubles because yeah. what you did not realize is how much energy was spent amongst all the people on the team bitching about that toxic person. Yeah. Yeah. When you get that toxic individual out, everybody else refocuses on getting the job done. And yeah. then the entire team, I've seen this more times than I can oh, count, yeah. the entire team becomes increased, significantly more effective. What, what you're doing by eliminating that toxic person is you are removing a roadblock for the rest of the team and now have an opportunity to enable them to achieve the the level that they should have been having that they that they felt like they were not able to operate at because of this other person. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I can't even tell you how many times I've dealt with this problem. Yeah. It it's it is um it is certainly one of the most uh toxic things that you can watch out for and I can tell you that as a small business owner, oh man, like you want to talk you want to talk about risk adverse it takes serious balls to be able to fire your top producer. <laughs> it does because especially, especially if you're sub 5 million mm-hmm. and, and when you put the vision of, of, of the company, the mission statement for your people in front of profit, your people will totally operate at a whole new level. Yeah. But as soon as you start compromising as the leader of your company, for money, what do you expect everybody else to do? Yeah, sorry, bro, you're you, you're you're you are the farmer, and you're letting these people s- sow these seeds, and and they will come to harvest, and you're gonna be and you're gonna be disappointed, and you won't and you won't have anybody to blame except yourself because you're the one who's paying these people to sow the seeds. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the other thing that I want to touch on. You were talking about this this friend of yours who maybe didn't fully understand the value that they were contributing to the organization. Yeah. You were able to work through that conversation by asking the right questions. Yeah. The right questions are so damn powerful. <laughs> yeah. It is crazy. Yeah. For instances like mm-hmm. what you just described, but one of the things that I have learned as I've started to get more into the consulting realm, because... You have this, whenever you are a service provider or selling a product, you have to basically prove that you know what you're talking about. Yeah. As a service provider of consulting services, me coming in and saying, oh, look, I can do all these things. I know all this stuff doesn't work. But what does work is if I come in, sit down with Gray and say, talk to me about your business. What's going on? And then I start asking the right questions. Like you and I had a conversation with a friend at coffee. He just happened to show up and I started asking him questions. His response was, uh, you sound like my business coach. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that immediately lended credibility to, oh, this guy actually knows what he's talking about. So when did you learn how powerful questions can be? Yeah. Um, so most people don't know this. I started my first business when I was seven. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm not going to say that I learned the lesson of, of how powerful asking questions were at that point. I was forced because of, I wanted to be like when I was that young, I wanted to buy this, this RC car that my parents wouldn't, wouldn't buy for me. I had to, I had to earn it. 
And so that was the first time I ever, you know, asked a question. Well, how do I, how do I earn, you know, earn the money? Go. It was funny. My dad said, go cut grass as a seven year old and no joke. I'm not joking. So I went and knocked on every single one of my neighbor's doors (laughs) and only one neighbor said yes to me as a seven year old pushing a lawnmower paid me 10 bucks child child slavery by the way to, to cut their front and backyard i couldn't eat, i'm not joking i could not even hold the, the the weed whacker at that point like i had to i had to uh get help on you know for that but but you know that started in me then this inquisitive nature you know one of the most important things that that you can have as an entrepreneur is an inquisitive nature to ask questions actually you don't even get into entrepreneurship if you're not asking questions yeah like that's where you got to start because you, because you have to know what you want. You can't know what you want if you don't if you don't sit down and start by asking yourself. the The actual power of asking questions in business is what it does is it, is it creates humility in in the interaction, like especially like if you're with a client. Instead of you coming in and you may be credentialed, you may be the smartest person in the world. But if you come in and tell this client how to run their business instead of instead of asking them questions to get them to think about it, they're gonna they're gonna think you're an a hole. No, really, that's that is the way that is the yeah. art of business. That's how yeah. we are wired as humans, and so we can have so much more success in getting not just our clients but like our our people who work for us to get to where we want them to go by not giving them the direct answer. But asking them questions so that so that they can they can get there themselves. Okay, that's another thing that I've learned in in leading teams and building leaders. The majority of the time, when somebody would come to me with a problem, one of my direct reports, or even people a few rungs down on the ladder, they'd come to me with a problem, and I would know the answer. But yep. if I told them the answer, then I become the easy button, yep. and they don't figure that's it what out. Happens. And so what I learned probably five, 10 years ago is I would start asking leading questions. Okay, well, what's going on here? Yeah. Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Now, what I'm doing is leading them to the answer by asking this question and this question and this question, making them think through it so that they come up with the solution on their own. Now, there is also a balance here because you can't spend three years asking questions. Mm-hmm. At some point, you have to say, okay, John's not going to get this. I'm going to help him with this one. Now, if you get to a point as a leader where you're having to help, 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 and they're just not getting it, that's a different conversation. Yeah. But for the people that you are building and developing, when you start asking the right questions and leaving a trail of bread clump crumbs so that they can get to the answer on their own they figure it out they own it it's their solution yeah. and so they're going to take it through fruition that it's so like it, there's just such an irony in it because because the e- the easy way out mm-hmm. as a leader is to give them the answer yeah if we want to empower our people then we need to we need to be willing to walk them down the roads that we have already walked down ourselves and not give them the direct answer because we we build confidence with you know in them we create capability in them and then hopefully eventually what should happen and so like i there there's responsibility on both parts like oftentimes what happens like is we look at at uh companies and we say 
you know, well, if the company's not being run well, it's the leader's fault. And like in 90% of the cases, that's true. We can't minimize the individual responsibility that an employee has in the organization. At some point, you have to start thinking for yourself. So, yes, do we need better leaders in the world? Absolutely, we do. Like, hands hands down, that's that's why you have a job, you know, is because of, is because of equipping um, and creating powerful leaders. I also know, because I've worked with so many people, that that we have to start teaching individual responsibility. It's actually the lack of teaching individual responsibility that that gets that sets people on the path to to getting stuck with the W two, to uh, not realizing the true American dream. Like a lot, a lot of people think that the American dream is is owning a home. Okay, so if we if we rewind just about a hundred years at this point, um, the actual American dream is starting your own business. If you, if you talk to anybody who's actually coming into this country, legally or not, they're, they're not coming in here and saying, oh, my, dr- my dream is to, is to own a home. They're coming here because America, the United States of America, is the powerhouse of economic activity in the world. Okay, So we have 300 million people. Our GDP is bigger than China, who has billions of people. Billions. Okay, so that is that is like really important. So you have to realize people are coming here because of opportunity, and if you if you instead of looking introspectively and saying what is it that I actually want, and you only ever buy what society sells you, sorry, society sells you, then you end up, you know, you end up in a life where you know you've got a wife and you know two kids. And, and, you know, the house and the cars and you're still like unfulfilled. <laughs> you're like, did, wait, I just, I'm, you know, I'm 45, I'm 50. I've got, you know, I've got the two kids, but I'm not, I'm not doing what I actually want to do or having the impact that I want to do. This is what I, I can tell you that for me, this is why, this is why I did not save more before becoming an entrepreneur because I've always known that if I was going to fail or make mistakes that I, I want to do in my 20s. I don't want to wait till I'm 30 or 40. Do you know how many people? Okay, so like, let's just look at data, okay? Yeah. And th- and this is not me saying that it's too late for you if if you're if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, Easy. whatever. I'm gonna be 42 okay. next week. Well, I, in a few I, weeks. I just uh, this goes back to making decisions based on data, okay? So you look at statistics and um, the number of businesses that fail in the first year are like 90 percent. And then of those remaining, it's something like another 40% fail over the next, you know, five years. And then, and then most people don't know this, um, only 10 out of a hundred businesses, one in 10 will, will survive in, to be 10 years old. One in 10? One in 10. So, okay. We have that as a data point. You just spent 20 years you know, from 20 to 40, working in corporate America, saving money. And uh, and you have learned a lot of things along, along the way. Like, you you know, you become equipped. I'm not using you as a personal example. 
for me, knowing knowing that it requires a lot of failure to actually to actually get to where you want to be as an entre- as an entrepreneur as a business owner, I don't want to wait until I'm 40 with you know two teenagers, a house, and cars to start a business and then fail. That is that is more risky than doing it in my 20s. It just is, mm-hmm. you know. Like I think about I think about. Uh, what we're like what what we are sold and um you know kind of goes back to the idea of i won't contribute to a to a 401k because it will never give me returns greater than i can produce because here's the irony of it that 401k is going to is going into an investment pool and me the people on the other side of that the people extracting the money from the investment pool for the entire time that you're investing in it for the 30, 40 years that, that you're in it. I took your, you know, accumulated two to $5 million worth of, worth of uh, liquid. Mm-hmm. And for me, I made a hundred million dollars on it because you, because you let me have it because you chose to stay in the workforce and contribute to your 401k the entire, <laughs> yep. you know, the entire time. And it's like, we have, we have to start, um, teaching people to think differently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know generally that that we will probably never reach a point where everybody thinks in these terms. I also know that there are untruths sold to people uh, under the guise of, of you have to do it this way. You know, this is how society has always done it. And if you just actually look at history, which I think is something that this, that this country forgets quite often, <laughs> dude, it changes on a dime. And it's like, I, you know, you probably, that, that same person who's struggling right now would have, would have fared better living a hundred years ago because of, they would have got the hardship that they needed, the challenge, the, the challenges that they needed, the, that ready, the most important, the most important thing that you can give your employee, the opportunity to overcome. instead of encouraging comfortability like instead of like what happens with with most corporate jobs we want to coddle our employees we want to create a comfortable web because of because as long as it is it doesn't have to be perfect but as long as it's good enough they won't leave and they'll and they'll and they'll stay with us mm-hmm. and so it's just yeah i mean you got you got you have to be careful if you ever, if you ever thought about you know, being an entrepreneur, you know, you have to have this hardcore mindset of nobody is responsible for my destiny, for my income, except me. It's on, it's on my shoulders. And when you, when you start taking that personally and you do become the the chief everything officer and you are having to sweep the floors and you are having to do the invoicing and the billing and you're actually having to, to, to do the work for however long it takes till you can start hiring people, you have so much more respect for for what it actually takes. Okay. So I want to pivot just a little bit. You built the business, you exited the business. What's next for you? Okay. So uh, it's actually very interesting that, that, that you asked that. I'm working on a, a couple of really cool things. Um, some that I'll talk about, some that I won't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had a lot of customers come back to me uh, because of, because of, you know, there's no, like in, in commercial printing, there's no like competitive agreements. People can go wherever they want. 
Well, I'm now a customer. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> and uh, it's hilarious because, you know, I have I have access through peers in my network, you know, to, to still get jobs done. And customers who want to give me money. Mm-hmm. And so let me tell you, when you're an entrepreneur, you never say no. Like if, if an opportunity comes up, you just figure out how to do it. Uh, okay, hold on, hold on. I think maybe not so much in your business, but in in my business, consulting yeah. services, it is okay to turn away yeah. a crap client. Yes, no, I it that what, that statement is cer- is certainly industry specific. Yes, here's here's the reason why. In uh, but it's challenging to do on the front end when you're starting a business. Yeah. You need that oh, revenue absolutely. coming in the door, and sometimes you have to eat glass yeah. with a shitty customer for a while, <laughs> absolutely, just to keep the lights on, to keep things moving until you can build something up, and then get to a point where you're comfortable saying, "Hey, this isn't really working out for us. We're gonna go separate ways." Yeah, yeah, that's um, that is really important. Uh, I call it the. Um, the do whatever it takes mentality, you know. Uh, actually, I I coined a term. If you've ever worked for me, then you, then you'll know this term. The skill that you develop as a as an entrepreneur is called figure out ability. <laughs> and you know, it's like it's so important because your job is to just figure it out. I'm sorry that it sucks. But you got to do it. You said you wanted to be an entrepreneur. You left your job to do this. Figure it out. Yep. You know, even if even if it requires time, because because most people don't realize like I'm like I'm in like I'm engaging right now in in family office. Like I'm like I'm like I'm trying to get to the next level of how do I, you know, like how do I take all this financial literacy that I have and make my money not just work for me for the rest of my life but create generational wealth, not so that the people in the future generations won't have to work, but so that they'll have a better foundation to impact the world than I did. So that, you know, that's one of the things I'm working on. Another, uh, another important thing talking about, uh, talking about printing. Um, I am currently leveraging AI. I just, I just um, published actually a new website. It's called fourcolorbooks.com. It's uh, my Magnolia print house brand. And uh, it's like you can go on and buy stuff right now. Like we have we have products that that um, are that are ours that like print that we sell. Uh, but it's also a place that you can log into and, you know, submit your artwork and print whatever. Uh, so but right now with that project, we are actually in, uh, building an AI engine that takes the hundreds of thousands of, of graphic assets that we have and allows uh, customers. As soon, as soon as you just go to the, the website, use AI. Hey, create me a wedding invitation for for, you know, my kids who are getting married. Their names are X and Y and they're getting married on this date. And then all of a sudden you have. 10,000 wedding invitations to choose from. Nobody's doing this, by the way. Like there's, there's, there's nobody else has done it yet. There, there are, there are uh, creative uh, tools out there that have just started doing it. Like Canva just released what, something that, that they call yep. magic, mm-hmm. you know, which is, a, which is a yeah, two weeks amazing ago, a tool. Yeah. It recently came out. Yeah. Uh, 
but can but Canva's not a uh, they're not a printer. Mm-hmm. You know, they they're they're a designer. Like you can or I believe you can order prints on Canva, but yeah. you don't it's, you don't really go order prints from camera, you know, from Canva. Mm-hmm. My that the this new thing that I that I've uh, put online is the highest quality print in the world, and and be and because of that reason, it's also the most expensive. So mm-hmm. if you're you know if you're looking for, you know, Vista print, mm-hmm. like if you're you know something you know like just a base something basic, like go to them. Like I'm not I'm yeah. not afraid to tell you go to Vista print or Snapfish or whatever. Uh, because of they're going to have products that might meet your needs mm-hmm. but you know if, you, if you're getting married or you're doing a corporate event and you want and you want and need the highest quality stuff that's that is that's what we're specializing in yeah because i've done commodities before by the way going back to sales um if you ever want to get if you if, like if you ever want to get real experience um selling finding a commodity to sell is wow let me tell you learn how to sell dirt you know like it's great it's a great skill skill to have and so like now that i've sold commodities now i'm now i'm like okay i don't necessarily want to sell this huge range of 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 products like Mm -hmm. i want to focus on this one thing and because it limits the amount of effort that i have to put into actually establishing that that sales funnel that vertical Mm -hmm. and um i know that every single time a customer gets a package they're going to be just shocked with the quality they're gonna they're going to love the product that they give it's all it i would i would equate it to the experience that that used to be the apple unboxing experience do you remember how excited you were when you went to the apple store to unbox your and they would unbox your phone help you set it up that is that is you know the type of experience that that we are trying to create with magnolia print house and so um yeah, do, doing that. I'm. I'm. I've. I've kind of. I've told you. I can't. I can't go too much into it. But. But working on my first patent, mm-hmm. something I actually wish I would have done a long time ago. Mm-hmm. You know, there are lots of people who have good ideas, and, and they don't do anything with them, and so you know, like unfortunately, I'm. You know, I. I've been one of those people, and I think. I think that the the biggest contributor has been. Has been lack of time like i'm like i'm in a season right now where i just have all my time back mm-hmm. oh my god i've not had time in the last five years that's it so funny so that you good. say that whenever i transitioned out of my full-time role and into entrepreneurship yeah i went through and and cleared out my calendar yep. and i did not recognize how much of my time was being consumed yep. by my employer and and yes, I was doing a little bit of stuff at the, on the side, and as as I was winding down my duties there, I was winding up my stuff on my consulting business. Yeah. But there was a period of time where I cleared my calendars, and I had nothing on yeah. my calendar. Now that period of time was two days, and then it yeah. turned into let's meet for coffee. Started doing the the whole sales process mm-hmm. of building relationships, yeah. uh, meeting new potential customers and, and things like that. So my calendar got filled up really quickly, but there was a period of a couple of days where I had nothing. And so I went to the gym a bit and oh, yeah. just kind of enjoyed life for those two days. And then now it's just, okay, back to the grind. Now I got to sell. And, and the majority of what I do now is the business development side of things and then the leadership coaching side of it. And then yeah. we have some other consultants that are working on other things, but those are the big areas that I'm focusing on right now. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think that one of the most attractive things about entrepreneurship 
is like, like, you know, watch TikTok, Instagram, whatever, get your time back, <laughs> you know, come, yeah, get, get to go on vacation whenever you want. Mm. And it's like, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not, that's not how that works at all. You know, the S and P 500 is made up of the 500 largest companies in the United States, but America runs on small business. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's that's just a reality. Mm-hmm. And right now, um, y- you know, as people are losing their jobs, hopefully a lot of people are, have you know, have uh, had their risk mitigated for them by losing, you know, everything that they thought that they were risking and actually will go start something. Um, this happens nearly every time there's an, an, an economic downturn where people who who were capable to be entrepreneurs but too afraid to actually do it, they end up losing the thing that they were trying to protect and end up doing the thing they should have been doing from the beginning. And so that's why, you know, you don't ever underestimate the the power of small business in this country. It's one of the things that makes it so great. It's it's the reason that it's it's the reason that people from all over the world want to come here. Yeah. So, you know, like I like I commend you for for doing it. I can tell you that in, in my experience, being somebody who, like, I, I would say that that I was a highly leveraged asset in my own business. And that and that is because of the way that I built it. And by maximizing the value of my time, by setting hard boundaries and saying, I, I, I'm sorry, I know you want me to come in and do it for you. I just need you to figure it out. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you how to do it, but I'm not going to come out there and do it for you. You know, like I, I can't, like, I'm like, I need to stay in front of this high impact opportunity that's right in front of me. Because if I don't, if I don't, and I come do the thing for you, we both lose. And so, you know, like there's a, there's balance that has to be driven because of, because if you do want to make sure that, that you're properly equipping your employees, that, that you are, um, that you are uh, leading by example, you know, showing them and also construing how important the the work is that is in front of you. The, the, the same importance, and I'm using myself as an example here, the same importance that the pressman runs the press and gets, you know, the print done so that it can go to the next stage and in, in the, in the, in the processing, you know, my job is just as important onboarding new customers you know, getting new purchase orders, whatever, so that, so that there's no break in, in our workflow. So yeah, I, like, I, I can tell you, and I know you love it too, but like small business, oh man, I just love it. Like I love it so much. Like there's so much, there's so much opportunity to learn and, and having, and having the attitude of, of failing, falling down and getting back up and keep going. Like, it makes you appreciate life so much more. It really does, and it makes you. It makes you. It makes you uh, more directly connected with, with, with money. Like it makes it makes you like like one one of the reasons that Dave Ramsey's like so hardcore about about you know not using credit, about you know not being in debt is because people like we just we teach Americans how to be disconnected from money. And then they end up with a bunch of liabilities, and they're and they're and they're the one tool that they have their income to be able to make their lives better 
are going to pay all these debts that they've accumulated. But when but when you own your own business, you you learn that like, hey, I have to safeguard this the this uh, money that is coming in, and because of because at first like the the first struggle is, I'm going to I'm going to, um, I got to figure out how to make money, and and you know get that pipeline opened up. That's that's the the, the place where most entrepreneurs fail. Is they don't they can't figure out how to open a pipeline. The next biggest struggle is is making sure that your inlet is so much bigger than your outlet. Because what happens, and this is why most businesses fail, is because of is because of their inlet and outlet are the same size, and their business is just a is just a pass through for cash. And it's like you never like yeah, it's great you had you know a million bucks in sales, but you also spent a million bucks. You have nothing to show for all the work that you did. You know, like you, you paid it, you paid it to employees or, or in taxes or whatever else. And it's like, um, I think, I think, I think that education again, financial literacy is, is like one of the big, is one of the big things we need to focus on, uh, as a country, because that is, that's really how we improve people's lives is, is by, is by equipping them with the knowledge it has, it has very little to do with how you grew up what what type of uh, advantages you had the color of your skin it has it very little to do with that and it has more to do with how do you ma- how do you how do you maximize the value of your time by creating value in this in this system called the economy that we have we're starting to run out of disk space I'll we normally go for an yeah, hour. This has been such an incredible yeah. <laughs> conversation. Yeah. I didn't want to stop. Okay. Yeah. All right. So in all of your 27 years. Oh, man. So, so, so long. So yeah. long. Infinitely wiser. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, I just have to say how impressed I am at all of the things that you've accomplished, all the conversations you and that. I have Thank had. You. Very, very impressive stuff. What is one of the biggest things that you would like to leave with the audience? Mm. when when I uh, found out that I was not going to Texas I had actually met with the um, the board that makes the decisions for the dental school and I was told that I was not getting into the school because I was too white because of I was straight, like just a bunch of affirmative action bullshit. Illegal too, by the way. That was a key moment in my life where I had to make a decision on whether or not I was going to allow it to define me or if I was going to become successful in spite of. And and, and that's what I did, by the way, obviously. Like I, I said... I said to myself, these people are going to re- regret not admitting me to their school because of they'll never have me in a, as a donor and I'm going to be one of the richest people in the world. Still working on, on, on proving that, you know, to be true. You know, I'm not a hundred millionaire or billionaire yet, yet, but we, you know, like it, it's so easy to develop this victim mentality. This happened to me. 
I can't do it because of because of this, because of people think, or because they said no. Entrepreneurship is 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 about sidestepping roadblocks, destroying them if you have to, and going where the opportunity is. Sometimes you have to give up your dream to do the thing that makes money. Does that make sense? Like, so often we get caught up with, I want to do what I love. That's the bullshit that they sell you to, you know, to get you to go to college. Do what you love. When really, you should just grow the fuck up and learn to love what you do. And that is a totally different mindset. And so I didn't, I, I never loved, uh, like when, when I was, when I was the only person or even when it was just me and my brother, who's a co a co-owner, whenever we first started and I was, and I was the pressman and I was the guillotine operator and I was the, you know, the packager and the person cleaning the floors and the bathroom, the whole nine, I didn't love that. But you know what I did love? I love being directly connected with the value that I was inputting for my company that manifested itself in, in the form of, of how I was able to pay myself or how I was able to improve my family's life. And so I, so I did not have to, I did not have to love doing all those things, but I knew because I have, because I, because I sidestepped roadblocks and I said, you know what? Like I need to engage with actual humility here and do whatever it takes. I need to develop my figure out ability skill when when i got engaged with that and set my sights on the long-term vision it doesn't matter what you put in front of me anymore there's there is nothing you can do to stop me you can try to roadblock me all you want i and and this this is an important thing by the way because we said this the last time that we met you you're gonna dig 99 holes before you find the one with gold but if you stop digging then you won't you won't ever find it and then eventually what you'll realize, and I love this, I love where you went with this, by the way, on LinkedIn. Eventually you learn to just appreciate the process of digging holes. Like that is what, that is what entrepreneurship looks like. That's, that's, that's where you end up. And it's so much cooler when you actually develop a team and you have a bunch of other people digging holes with you because they're, they're in the dirt, they're in the mud. And, you know, maybe you get out of the daily activities, you're not directly digging holes or you're, or you're, you're digging different types of holes. And so, yeah, I'm, I, my, the thing that I would, that I would, uh, leave with people is adversity is not an excuse for why you can't do it. It's the reason why you should, because no one has control over, over your life except you. That's important. We make our own decisions. We live in a free country. That's what makes this country so great. We don't. We don't. We're not. We're not dealing with, with a, a, a government. You know that that is completely socialist and controls means of production. Right. At least today, we're not. <laughs> Say that. Um, you know, it's still in, it's still in your hands. So what you, what you do with it is up to you. And I hope that that you decide to to pursue entrepreneurship. I think it's really important. I think that. It will be very hard in the beginning and also very rewarding in the end if you put your ego aside and get in the mud with me and John. So, yeah, that's it. Damn. I'm going to make some clips out of, this, out of this. Okay, how do people contact you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of ways. Um, 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I really am. I'm comfortable with giving people my direct email. I, I, I really, really love um, entrepreneurship. I mean that genuinely. I love it when people ask me questions. Um, I, I, I don't know if you can actually publish my contact card on, on a blog or not. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, call me, text me. Seriously, eight three two five seven zero three six one two. Like I'm, I'm an open book. You can email me. Um, probably the best way to reach me right now is um, graybonin at gmail.com. I have, if, if you're, if you are a private equity connection or somebody in, in larger business, I have a separate email for stuff that, you know, that is, that really needs my attention. But all general inquiries I send there to, okay. to my, my uh, public email. Man, I appreciate you taking the time to come on talk through all of this stuff you and i are going to have a lot more conversations yeah. in the future we've no got some, some plans that i'm hoping we can work together in the future and yeah. some projects i think there's uh, some good opportunities let's do it all right everybody that is all we have for the show today we'll have all of gray's contact information how to get in touch with him some of his socials and stuff like that in all of the show notes if any of you have any questions please reach out to gray obviously you can reach out to myself and y'all have a good one <laughs>